Welcome, church family, both those online and those here in person. I want to encourage you as we go into this time to engage, not to just listen for or about just a few illustrations or to think about lunch or whatever it is you have coming up. I want you to think about the Word of God and what it has for you, what it has for me today. See, we're finishing up our series, Reach, and this is an important. We started out with the very basis of who we are, our mission and our vision as a church. What drives us? Then week two, we went into Reach Out, which was evangelism, to reach out to those around us, to, to bring the good news to around them. And then it was to reach up, that is, reach up and disciple to reach up to God, and, and then we went in now to week four. Week four is about a key theme that we're going to focus on over the next couple of years as well, which is reach down into the church, reach into the church to draw up leaders. See, everyone gets better when the leader gets better, and everyone kind of goes down if the leaders go down. See, organizations rise and fall on their leadership. Countries rise and fall on their leadership. And churches rise and fall on their leadership. Now, the church is always one generation away from just becoming extinct, of somebody dropping the ball, of not passing the baton to the next generation. And that's all about leadership. And it's vital that, that in today's society, with so many ways that you're being pulled, you know, I, I get pulled in every direction you could imagine. You need to show the church in this. You need to pull the church over here. You need to address this. And and, and from social media to articles to those in the community to those in government to those outside of government wanting the government to change, to, nah, 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 nah. this is what the church is to be about. I have to just take a deep breath. Say, what is the church to be about? And that's a question I want to ask you today. You know, I... The church is always to look to the example of Jesus, obviously. That's a good place to start. It's a good place to pour into. And Jesus was this incredible leader who showed up on planet Earth. God in the flesh, he was radical. He changed so much. And there were so many who wanted to draw him into an earthly revolutionary leader and he said, oh, no, guys, my world's not of this home. It's not here. It's, this isn't, my home's not here. It's eternal. And I do what the Father has set before me. And in fact, he set a whole different view of everything. He, instead of focusing temporally, he focused on eternity. And I, I think we fight with that a lot today. So here's the bottom line is that the job of the church is not to develop temporal leaders or good leaders, but godly leaders, eternal leaders. See, uh, the stuff that the church is drawn into is not bad. It's good stuff. In fact, I have thousands of opportunities that are great, good, incredible things that would change lives but not eternally necessarily. 
And so I got to focus on what matters most, and that's what the church must focus on, and it's a constant tension that we have to watch. You know, in John chapter 6, that's going to be our text today. Um, I want to give you a little bit of setting before we get into what I'm going to focus on, which is 60 through 71. But the, the setting was, if you look at that whole chapter, you got the crowd surrounding Jesus and his disciples. I mean, they're like, wow, this new up-and-coming teacher, he's radical, he's awesome. And, I, and they're focusing on him. They're, they're pressing into him, and, and they're wanting the show, basically. And Jesus says, okay, guys, to the disciples, kind of a test of where their focus is. You know, there are a lot of few thousand people here. Feed them, okay? And they're like, uh, how? And, and well, he ends up doing this incredible miracle with some just loaves and bread and, and feeds them all. And, well, the crowd loves it. The crowd always loves a free meal. I mean, I do. Someone invites me over for a free meal. I'm like, you're my friend. And that's kind of what happened with Jesus here. They're like, this is great. Yeah. And then Jesus did this thing that kind of made them uncomfortable. In fact, he ends up making them a little bit uh, just really turned off, and he didn't do what a you know a, a normal leader of this world would do, which is always to you know avoid the flub up, always just continue to draw them in. He messes with their head. He goes from the temporary physical focus that they've had to an eternal, crazy to them sounding a spiritual focus, and he says, "You guys just basically want another meal to fill your tummy," and they're like, "This sounds good, yeah," and he's like. I'm the bread of life. You know, you just, just eat me. And they're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> That's kind of weird, Jesus. And, and, and they don't get the symbolism. They don't get where he's trying to take them with the gospel. He's setting up an eternal focus. And, and he's actually predicting the symbolic picture of what's going to happen in this death, burial, and resurrection. He's giving them a picture of communion. And all they go is, hey, where's my free meal? I want the next show. Come on, dude. And, and then it all starts to fall off. Well, here's the thing. I'm going to pull out some leadership principles of what I see in the disciples, the apostles, the ones who, when all the crowd was there, if you start narrowing it in to those that he depended on, those who began to change the world, what, what, do, what do we see? Well, there was an uncommon clarity that they developed. When, in, when others would just walk away, they had an uncommon clarity that was very different. It was unique. It was, they were like, whoa, the gospel was presented, and, and it sounded crazy from a human perspective. And they're like, what are you talking about? See, many are going to fall when the gospel is presented. Many are going to walk away. They're not going to like it. They're going to throw in the towel. And leaders need an uncommon clarity of what's actually going on. The, the change that the gospel will require of you, the change of life that he presents is not easy. In fact, the Bible goes on, the disciples turn to him and say, this is extremely hard to understand. How can anybody accept it? Jesus is aware that his disciples were complaining. And so he says to them, um, guys, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Hey, this is kind of the crazy thing. They're like, ascending, they're all about earth. And he's like, no, I'm not going to stay here. Many of the disciples said, oh, this is so hard. And just go on to the next slide, if you would, please, guys. And the Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. 
And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but some of you do not believe in me. You know, this is not a human thing that can be done. You can't do it by just pushing in harder, getting to a reason. You have to be drawn by the Lord himself. The gospel still has incredible life to it today, and yet for some, it's death. It makes no sense. They're like, uh-uh. In fact, could I just ask you to think about, do you have a focus on the temporary or on the eternal in your own life? See, followers are always thinned out extremely quickly when presented with an eternal truth rather than feel-good religion. You know, I don't know anyone who says, oh, yeah, I I have a feel-good religion. That's what I'm about, comfort Christianity. Nobody wants to admit that. But, oh, do we fight that. I do as well. I mean, why do I get frustrated and upset or get down? And I'm like, why, God? It's usually a war within my heart on comfortable Christianity versus Christ's focus of it all. I don't want to be one of the ones thinned out. The one true foundation is in Jesus Christ. Could I ask when you look at this world, when you look at the mess, when you see everything going on, I, I pray that you find clarity in Jesus rather than run from how maybe crazy it might sound. If you get the clarity of the gospel, it will require uncommon courage. Leadership is going to require uncommon courage because here's the truth right now, especially. Culture does not like what Jesus states. When Jesus says you got to change your life, when he says here's the, you know, kind of this upside down world of, of we, don't, we don't value the stuff of this world the same way. When, when he says, oh, you know what, you're going to give your life away. In fact, the meek will inherit the eternal life. You know, to turn the other cheek, to, you know, put your treasure in heaven. It's just upside down crazy stuff, and it takes courage to walk this out. Because others are going to get confused by what you say. If you're a young person just coming to faith, I don't know how many college students have had their parents go, what are you doing when they start to follow Jesus? And and they're not just in comfortable religion and Christianity. All of a sudden they want to get what their parents might see as radical when it's actually biblically normal. People are going to walk away. The majority is going to go that direction while God calls you to go a different direction Will you have the uncommon courage to stand firm? It says in verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also going to leave? Oh, man, Simon Peter shows the incredible courage, and he says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. Oh, I love Peter's response here. Isn't that powerful? Like the crowd's dispersing. They're kind of going this way and that way. And Peter looks at him. He looks that way. And he's like, no, Jesus, I I, I take you. I, I, I want you. Where else do I have to go? You're the only one that offers life. 
thing that gave him courage is he recognized the one voice instead of the many voices. If you've ever been in sports, you know how important it is to recognize the one voice. Or if you're a parent, you know how important it is for your kids to recognize your voice. If you're a teacher, you know how important it is for the classroom to hear your voice. In the midst of all the noise, are they able to tune in to what matters most? As a follower of Christ, if you're not careful, you'll listen to the world's voice, you'll listen to society, you'll listen to Satan, you'll listen to a well-meaning friend, you'll listen to a well-meaning parent who's not taking you towards the one voice. I want to ask you to be cautious about how many voices you allow and what you tune your heart to, which is what we talked a lot about this last weekend, reaching up in discipleship is tuning your heart to what matters most. Well, you have the courage to stand when the world goes another direction. As you stand and as your courage is being developed, character is also going to be needed. In fact, character is what's developed along the way. It's an uncommon character. The world doesn't get this. It has a higher and broader and deeper value than what the world does just at the surface. Now, Peter's a great example of, of, of what is normal. So often we read just the highlight stories of somebody and we go, yeah, that's awesome. I read Peter and I read this up and down. He has this incredible curve that goes up in his life, but it does this the whole way. I mean, he, he hears God's voice, and then he does something stupid, and he hears God's voice, and he does something stupid, and then he hears God's voice, and he's constantly moving up and, and being challenged and growing deeper and tuning in. He learns so much through each one of those downs to take him higher up. See, often we hit a down, and then if not careful, we go down, and then we start listening to the wrong voice, and then we feel like we're a failure, and then we're just, oh. Character is developed through those ups and downs. I want to just tell you a little bit about Peter. Just think about this guy. You may not know that much about him. I love him because I identify with him. He, he over and over does some crazy stuff, but I identify with the, the dumb side. Let me just put that in a good point. I, I, I speak sometimes like he does. He just like blurts it out. But he was in a boat one time, and Jesus was walking on the water. They're all like freaked out, the disciples. He's the guy that says, hey, Jesus, call me out. I'll walk on the water to you. And Jesus says, okay, come, Peter. And so he steps out of the boat on the water. Now, he didn't make it far before he went down, but he walked on the water. He listened to the voice of God. Hey, and there's another time he hears Jesus up on basically shore, and he realizes his Savior. He, a couple of hundred yards from shore, has his stuff on. He dives out of the boat and starts swimming to the shore because he just wants to get to Jesus. I love that. Hey, I think of the, the ups and the downs, and I think of the time that... Uh, Man, he's standing by his Savior's side in the garden, and, and he's totally confused because all of a sudden Jesus is being arrested and being caught. And what does he do? He pulls out a sword because he doesn't quite get it, but he sure wants to do what's right. And he's ready to fight, and Jesus is like, no, Peter, put the sword away. That's not what we're going to do right now. And he has a, another whole fight that he's fighting. It's not against flesh and blood. And there's a time when... Jesus actually turns to this guy and says, get behind me, Satan. You have the mind of man, not, not the mind of God. But right around that same time, he also turns to Peter and says, 
upon your rock-like faith, I'm going to build the church. See, you, you don't have to have this like perfect, just always have it together. It's this up and down. In the middle of mess, where are you going to hit? In the middle of pain, what do you turn to? It's going to take courage because it's gonna, you're going to hit rough times. You know, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4 really puts it together. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop endurance and endurance helps us develop strength of character. Oh, we don't like these kind of verses, (laughs) but they're true. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. Oh, in the middle of whatever mess comes your way, in the middle of whatever's going on in society, in the middle of whatever anger is out there, you run to Jesus in the midst of that. And I want you to understand, as you have that courage, it will cost you. See, we're not called to comfortable faith. In the middle of your Christianity, in the middle of your faith, there will be a deep cost. And it's something that we don't like. Let me tell you about a medical study that I read about this last week. 600 approximate, 600,000 patients who had heart bypass surgery were followed. They were told that we'll give you a temporary fix with this bypass surgery, but you're going to have to change your life if you want to live. You're going to have to change how you eat, what you drink. You're going to have to have an exercise routine. You're going to have to get rid of tobacco and alcohol. And if you, if you do that, you can live. This is a temporary fix. You have to do more afterwards. They followed up with the, the 600,000 some patients two years afterwards. Nine out of ten patients had not changed the way they live. Nine out of ten were choosing to die rather than to live. See, the broad Bible tells us here is what's going to happen in life. You're going to have pain, you're going to have trials, you're going to have heartache, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And we hear that and we kind of go, wait a second, I don't really like that. I like to avoid pain. I want to avoid hurt. I want to avoid disappointment and struggles. So when the mess of life comes, because it's going to come, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble Where do you run? Where do you turn? Where is your hope? If you put it all in this world, you're going to have your world tanked and you're going to get really upset really quick. That's why it says in verse 61 and following here, many of the disciples said, this is really hard to understand. How can anyone accept this? (sighs) Jesus says, hey, does this all really offend you as they're complaining? At this point, many of the disciples turned and deserted him. Not much has changed today. A lot of people deserted him then, and people continue to desert him now. You know, earlier this year, I saw an incredible outpouring of people just running to the church. Around March, uh, April, and May, uh, more people were turning to find out what does God say about this, saying, are we at the end of time? Oh, no, all of a sudden, I want, if, if we're at the end, in other words, like if dad's coming home, I, I, I want to get right. Because they were worried. It's a virus and unrest and all these problems, and people are fearful, and maybe this is, this is the final countdown, so to speak. And then as they hang around the church, and then they hear things like, Jesus saying, hey, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. 
I don't really like that. You're going to have to live a life of sacrifice. That's a, hey, he set the example of that, in fact, and it's not about comfortable Christianity. Come to me and all the pieces are just going to fall. It's going to be easy. It's going to be great. Blessings are just going to overflow into your life if you just turn to in there. That's what they want. How is it that we in the church so miss the sacrificial example of Christ? Because what happened this year is what I saw happen after 9-11. Woof, flocking to the church. And then just after it starts to calm down and, and maybe the message isn't quite as comfortable as they like, back to normal. Get heart, heart bypass surgery. Okay, fix me right now. And then I want to live the way I've always lived. That's not the message that Jesus gave us as an example he paid a physical cost. He paid an emotional toil and a spiritual cost as well. Oh, where do you turn? Are you turning to comfort Christianity or are you willing to hear an uncommon call from an uncommon Savior? See, the call of Christ is, is incredible. He's called us to reach a, a lost and a dying world. And, and th those who hear that and, and, and flock to that and base their life around it are those who he is able to build the church on and, and lives are able to be changed. But the problem is, is I think a lot of us have forgotten the very essence of what the church is about. Now, let me just put it this way. The why we exist is confused next. So I'm going to show you three circles here. And uh, um, there should be a circle if we can go on to the next slide. Um, we got another slide there. Three circles, guys, I think. All right, we may have that next service. I'm sorry, you guys missed out. And so we have three circles that are about this. We have on the one side, we have the, the, the what we're about. That's kind of the outside of the target. It's not even the center part. It's the outside. And then you kind of go in a little bit further, and it's the, the, the how we do it. And then from there, you go into why we do it. The church absolutely stands on and absolutely runs to the what and the how, and we forget the why, and then we wonder what it's all the problem is. The why is that people are lost and dying and going to hell. Jesus said that very clearly in Luke chapter 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. When we remember that, when we stay on mission, when we stay right on focus, it changes everything. Then it doesn't really matter whether we have a little bit of difference of opinion on how we do church or what we do in church because the why is what drives us. See, the bottom line is this again. The job of the church is not to develop good leaders, worldly leaders that, that are about all kinds of this changes that are around the world, but eternal godly leaders. We're going to love what Jesus loved and are going to put forth what he called us to put forth first and to stand on an example of going to the cross that matters all. That, that's what drove Jesus to die is that he loves us so much. See, people's eternity are at stake. And the primary mission of the church must be purposely to win the lost, to purposely love them. To, to go out of our way, to be willing to get uncomfortable. See, churches are dying and they're struggling all around the nation. You know why? It's because instead of starting from the center and going out, they start from the out 
and never get to the center. And they're very inward, selfish, focused churches that are not on the why, but on the how and the what. And I fight that and you fight that. We must continue to stand on the why. People are going to a hopeless eternity otherwise. Let's go back to our scripture, verse 67. Then Jesus turned to the 12 and asked, are you also gonna leave? I'm asking you that today, are you? He's asking you, he's asking me. And may we respond as Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. Oh, what courage. He understood the call and the beautiful part. You know, it's so beautiful to be chosen, isn't it? Isn't that cool? You know, from a young age, it's so important to be chosen. When you get married, it's so neat to be chosen. That's what sets you apart. Then Jesus said, I choose the 12 of you. And he's still saying to you, I choose you. He's chosen you to be his representative. He's chosen you to go out to a world that is lost and dying. Will you accept the call? Bow with me. God, I ask that you would raise to the, to the top leaders who hear your voice and they care more about what you love and, and what you care about than they do about their own preferences. Father, would you convict us as a church when we get sidetracked by anything else, would you convict each of us as individuals when, when we allow ourselves to worry more about society or about our finances than we worry about you? Oh God, have your way in our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up leaders who are dedicated to your voice, who hear your voice and would step out and be courageous even when culture is pulling them back and they're shouting them down. And oh Lord, would they remain faithful to your calling. Oh God, if there's one here today who's called to change the direction of their career, to change the direction of their life, to, to say, wow, I need to flip my life upside down to follow Jesus, would they have the courage to do that? Oh Lord, please, may your voice be what their hearts are tuned into. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me as we go into an invitation song? Yeah, I, he's inviting you to say, wow, I, I, I'm gonna stand on him. I wanna base my life on him. And I hope that you will come along in this journey. People.